Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another version of the Sports Island Podcast. I am your host, Rick Mitchell. And if you missed last week's episode, uh, I just kind of briefly talked about how I crossed over the 500 total listens milestone. And so I just want to thank all of you who may not have heard that. Um, Appreciate the support and all the listens you guys continue to give to this podcast. And um, I just look forward to continuing to provide it to you. But this week, uh, we crowned a World Series champion. And we have plenty of news from various other sports to get into. So we'll go ahead and we'll jump right in. And, of course, we start off in the PGA Tour. And last week's tournament was the Zozo Championship, which was held at uh, Sherwood Country Club in Thousand Oaks, California. And last week, I, I, I talked about how this tournament was originally supposed to be played uh, at the Narashino Golf Club in Shiba, Japan. But of course, due to the pandemic, it got moved to the United States. So here it is in uh, California. Now, the field on this thing was was pretty loaded. Um, all the top players in the world, I think, uh, minus Dustin Johnson and uh, Adam Scott, were playing and Tiger Woods was trying to defend his title. Um, and, and this tournament, really, it was it was pretty super competitive. A lot of big names at the top of the leaderboard uh, all weekend, really. And at the end of it, uh, your winner at the Zozo Championship was Patrick Cantlay with a score of 23 under par. Then you had a tie for second place between Justin Thomas and John Rahm, who finished at 22 under par. And then the next four go- uh, four golfers all finished at 19 under par, which was a tie for fourth. And that was Russell Henley, Cameron Smith, Bubba Watson, and Ryan Palmer. Now, Patrick Cantlay, he had, his name had been up there throughout most of the tournament. As far as the uh, Friday and Saturday rounds, he went... He went low on on those to kind of get himself in position. But then Sunday's round, he went out and he fired a 7-under and just completely dominated on Sunday. Now, for a while, it looked like Justin Thomas was going to win that because he he was dialed in all week. Uh, In fact, I saw a shot from Justin Thomas in which he hit it wide right off the tee into basically an unplayable lie. And it was a free relief from the spot he was in. And he ended up taking relief on the cart path. Like he literally chose to hit the ball off the cart path because that's how bad his lie was. And he crushed this thing off the cart path and his club barely nicked the pavement. Um, it was just unbelievable to watch, you know. I mean, um, as somebody that golfs, I, I definitely appreciate what he did there because I would, uh, you know, whenever I get a ball on the uh, cart path, I usually use the old foot wedge and uh, move it to the grass. But um, no, JT hit that thing right off the pavement. I think he ended up par in the hole, if I'm remembering correctly. But 
yeah, so there was some good golf being played all the way around. Um, so 23 under par was your uh, yeah your winning score. Now, my picks to click for the Zozo Championship. We'll recap those here. Uh, the first one I gave you was Tyrell Hatton. And I talked about his back-to-back top five finishes uh, that he had had. And uh, he'd been playing some really good golf. Well, he went out there and he fired a 13 under which was 10 shots back of Cantlay and good for a 28th place tie. So he was just outside that top 25 cut line in order to click. I mean, he's right there. Um, he just, you know, he actually was the, uh, I believe he was the nine-hole leader or he was up there after the first and second round. His name was all, all over the top of the leaderboard. Uh, but then he just kind of leveled off on Saturday and Sunday and just kind of fizzled out and uh, didn't really play the way he had the first round or two. Now, my second pick to click uh, was Joaquin Neiman, and he finished at 15 under par, which was good for 17th. So I ended up clicking on Neiman um, at a 17th place finish. Now, Neiman... I don't even think, I'm not sure if they even showed him on the coverage, you know. Um, he wasn't flashy. He really didn't have any um, exceptional round. Uh, he just played good, consistent golf all weekend, and that was good enough to get him at 15 under. Now, my third pick to click uh, was Harris English, and he also finished at 13 under par like Tyrell Hatton. So he was tied for 28th as well, which means he's outside the top 25 and he's a miss. So uh, Harris English, uh, I had picked him in my weekly fantasy golf pool that I'm in where we can only pick one guy. And um, he actually came out and he was up there after the first couple rounds. I think uh, after the first two rounds, I think he was at, uh, somewhere between 10 and 11 under maybe after the first two rounds. So he was he was uh, in a good position to make a good move on Saturday, but he, uh, he ended up going shooting even par on Saturday and just really didn't um, put it together. But uh, Harris English, is he's been playing really good golf, and he had had uh, nine uh, top 25s in his last 11 starts coming into this, and he finished tied 28th in this. So he just missed that as well. But uh, nonetheless, uh, he's still 13 unders, still a pretty decent score. Uh, so to recap, I basically I went one and two on my picks to click for the Zozo Championship. Not great, not good, not bad. Just kind of meh. So my... Well, the PGA Tour now, they move on this week to the Bermuda Championship. And uh, it's uh, Bermuda Championships at the Port Royal Golf Course in Southampton, Bermuda. Now, this tournament was originally supposed to be a World Golf Championship. This weekend was uh, World Golf Championship, and that was going to be in China. And of course, with the pandemic, that, got, that tournament completely got canceled. Um, the Zozo... Um, got moved to the United States, you know, and so did the CJ Cup. The CJ, last two tournaments, CJ Cup and Zozo, they got moved to the United States. Well, this weekend's tournament would have been the third weekend in a row they would have been in Asia, 
and it just completely got scrapped. They canceled it, and they moved it to the Bermuda Championship. Now, the Bermuda Championship, this field, I mean, it's atrocious. Like, if you if you watch golf at all, like, you know the, the names that are on this, this list of players in this field this weekend, and... I was debating on whether or not to even make my picks to click this week because of how bad the field is. Um, <laughs> the next two weeks are very important on the PGA Tour. Uh, next week, you got the Houston Open, which is a big purse tournament, and it's the t- t- last tournament before the Masters, which is the weekend after. So, um, you know, the guys, the big name guys are getting ready for the either the Houston Open or the Masters. Uh, some guys aren't playing the week before, but some guys are. But either way, this tournament here in Bermuda is just... I looked at the list, and I didn't really recognize um, hardly... I mean, I recognize some of the names, but not a lot. And, um, you know, it's... I'll make my picks to click, but I don't really have any info on on, on most of these guys, you know, just because it's, you know, um, it's not a great field. But my first pick to click, I'm going to start off with my man, Will Zalatoris. You've probably heard his name come up here several times recently, and that's because the dude's been playing lights out. Uh, young kid, uh, dominated the Corn Ferry Tour here lately. Basically, for the last 14 months, he's completely owned the Corn Ferry Tour, and then he's done really nothing but excel on the PGA Tour as well. He had a, a miscut, of course, the week that I made him a pick-to-click a couple weeks ago, but... Um, his last start was at the Shriners for Hospitals, Shriner Hospital for Children Open a few weeks ago, and he finished tied for fifth there. Um, I just like him to, uh, you know, with a field of nobodies, I think he's got a good chance to finish in the top 25. Uh, but my second pick to click is Doc Redman. And Doc, he's one of those guys that he's sneaky. Um, he's, He's got two top threes in his last five starts and seven top 30 finishes since the PGA Tour restart several months ago. Now, he, he's only played here at Port Royal once. That was last year, and he finished tied for 35th. But um, I picked Doc Redmond in my weekly uh, fantasy pick'em that I do, and... That's just basically a hunch of him uh, playing well. And he's been knocking on the door for some wins here since the PGA restart. And I think this week is a good week for him to kind of break through and finally get a win. Uh, For no other reason, like I said, than um, he's a great ball striker. And the field of players is really uh, not impressive. So I I think he's got a good chance to win. Uh, He was my pick to win. Now, my third pick to click is Brendan Todd. And this guy, uh, he won this thing last year. And since then, he's been a top 25 machine. Um, he's, you know, he's you see his name at the top of the leaderboard on a lot of these tournaments. Uh, whether or not there's big players. Um, I, I talked about Brendan Todd. Uh, man, it's, it's been a while, several podcasts ago. But he's... He's one of those dudes that who you you see his name up there uh, pretty much uh, all the time, consistently. Now, he's had a bit of trouble finishing tournaments, but 
Um, I, I don't see why he can't at least finish in the top 25 here at the Bermuda. So that'll wrap up the PGA Tour. We'll go ahead and we'll skip over to Major League Baseball. And I mentioned that we crowned a World Series champion this year, or this past week, and we did. The uh, Tampa Bay Rays and the Los Angeles Dodgers squared off in the World Series that was held at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. And, you know, when I made the, I made the episode last week, I talked about the World Series, and I made my prediction. Now, we were three games into the World Series at that point last Saturday when I made, recorded the episode, and the Dodgers were up two games to one. Now, I picked the Rays only out of principle and the fact that I had not picked them yet, and they've done nothing but win and prove me wrong. So I was like, okay, I'll just take Tampa. But I did mention that I, I genuinely believe that L.A. would win. And here we are, a week later, the L.A. Dodgers won the World Series in six games over the Rays. Now, there were a couple of uh, pretty massive storylines here in the World Series. And the first one was Game 4. And if you watched Game 4... Um, you saw just how nuts that game was. And the Tampa Bay Rays ended up winning by a score of 8-7. to seven. Now, let me just take you through kind of how this unfolded. So the Dodgers scored first. In the first and the third, they got a couple of home runs from Justin Turner and Corey Seager. Well, then, Randy Arozarena, who was the ALCS MVP and a rookie who's just been hitting everything out of the ballpark, he brings the Rays back with a, with a home run of his own. They kind of trade runs all the way until they get to, um, well, they traded runs the entire game, but... Uh, after the seventh inning, well, the Rays hit a home run in the bottom of the seventh to tie it at seven. I mean, six. Okay, so after seven innings, game four was tied at six. So in the top of the eighth, Corey Seager, who we'll talk about him in a minute. He comes up and he hits an RBI single to the left center field. Gives the Dodgers a seven to six lead in the eighth. Well... The Rays go quietly in the eighth, bring on the ninth. Dodgers go down one, two, three. Tampa Bay's the home team, so here we are at the bottom of the ninth. And you got two guys on base. Uh, Randy Rosarena got a walk. I uh, can't believe they pitched to him, but they did. And they ended up walking him either way. But, um, yeah, so they, they had two guys on base. And Kevin Cash, the manager for the Rays, he brings in pinch hitter Brett Phillips, who had had two at-bats all postseason. Well, he comes up, and all he does is line a single into center field, and it scores the first run because there was runners on first and second. So the guy on second scored. Well, Randy Rosarena was on... Uh, first, and 
the hit went to um, into the outfield. So um, the outfielder tried to it was Chris Taylor. He tried to scoop the ball, but he missed. It hit his glove and rolled away from him. So Rosarena decided to hoof it all the way from first. He rounded third, and when he got halfway to home plate, he ended up tripping and falling. By this time, outfielder Chris Taylor had scooped up the ball and thrown it into the uh, to home plate. And Will Smith, the catcher, had the ball hit him and bounce off of him. So Rosarena got up and was running back to third after he fell, but he stopped, came back home, and ended up scoring the game-winning run on a busted play. And it was... I sat there and I watched that thing live. I couldn't believe that was happening. Uh, That was the most unbelievable ending to a baseball game I think I've ever seen. Um, It was insane. Uh, Now, the other big storyline, you know, in Game 7... Um, Blake Snell, the Tampa Bay Rays pitcher, was just throwing gas. Lights out, man. He was, he ended up, he, five and two-thirds innings, he had struck out nine batters and only given up one run, and the Rays were up one to nothing. Well, he gave up a base hit, uh, and Kevin Cash, the Rays manager, thought it was a good time to go ahead and pull Blake Snell. And Snell had only thrown 73 pitches at that time, and... You could tell Snell was visibly frustrated, and the pitcher that came in ended up giving up a couple of hits and uh, letting a run score, and the Dodgers went on to win the game 3-1. to one. So uh, Kevin Cash was heavily scrutinized, heavily questioned, heavily questioned about that, and um, looking back, I mean, he literally said, I made the mistake because it didn't work out. Um, and you have your ace on the mound who has nine strikeouts in five and two-thirds innings, and he's only thrown 73 pitches, and you think that's a good time to take him out? Um, you know, he was coming up on his third time through the batting order, and, of course, they've been talking about all week. The analytics say that it's not a good idea to leave your starter in for the third time through the order. Well, the Dodgers' big mashers of Betts, Bellinger, and Seager were uh, over. Six against Snell with uh, six strikeouts that night. So uh, I would say he was doing all right. But so anyways, the Dodgers win game seven. Now, the craziest thing in game seven, uh, Justin Turner, the Dodgers third baseman, he ended up testing positive for the coronavirus. And he didn't find out about the test until basically all the way through the game. So in the eighth inning, well, back up. In the second inning, the lab doing the COVID tests informed Major League Baseball that Turner's test from Monday came back inconclusive. And samples taken from Tuesday, that Tuesday, which was the game day, had arrived and they were run and and it showed up positive for Justin Turner. So the league immediately called the Dodgers and said, hey, Pull Turner from the game. He tested positive. So he Turner was pulled from the game. He was replaced by Edwin Rios. Now, this was in, you know, by the time he actually got out of the game, it was the eighth inning. And he'd already played. He was 0 for 3 at the plate, you know, that night. And he'd already played. Well, the Dodgers go on to win the game 3-1, to 1, 
right? And Major League Baseball told Justin Turner, you need to sit in the locker room and in quarantine, in isolation, and you don't get to go out on the field and celebrate. Now, Justin Turner said, fuck you, and he ran out there and he celebrated with his teammates. He had a mask on at one point, but I've also seen pictures of him sitting next to manager Dave Roberts on the field with the World Series trophy without wearing a mask. 20 minutes after he found out, he tested positive. Now, here's my thing. Now, the MLB is launching an investigation to see if the, you know, if the Dodgers told him to go out there or if he went out there himself. But the point is, who cares? Like, first of all, MLB's been in a bubble. So this positive test, uh, I have a feeling is probably a false positive or it's like the Nick Saban deal where it just magically showed up positive and then several days later he gets a negative test. You know, kind of one of those because I don't see it with your in a, being in a bubble, I don't see how you could test positive and the rest of your teammates don't. So um, I, I don't necessarily believe that that was a positive test to begin with, but uh, either way, if I'm Justin Turner, I'm going out there and I'm celebrating the World Series. I don't care what Major League Baseball says. The point is, that's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, potentially. You know, the Dodgers have been in and around the World Series for the last several years, but this is the first time they've won it since 1988, right? It's the Dodgers' first World Series in 32 years, and they've been all over it here lately, but... You know, if I like I said, if I'm Justin Turner, I don't care. You can find me, you can suspend me for next season for part of it, whatever. I would do what you gotta do. I'm winning I just won the World Series. I'm going out there and I'm celebrating. My teammates don't care. He's he was in the locker room all the way through the playoffs. So if he you know he tested positive and if it's a legit test and he's been in contact with his teammates this whole time, which he has, you know, there's no reason to not celebrate on the field. But, yeah, that was crazy. So, you know, the World Series for the, the Dodgers gives Los Angeles its second pro sports uh, title here in the last couple weeks. The other one, of course, was the Los Angeles Lakers winning the NBA title a couple weeks ago. So, L.A. is uh, currently the city of champions, but the World Series MVP, it was Corey Seager. Now, he also won the National League Championship Series MVP. And Seager was just outrageous. Again, in the World Series, he hit 400. All right. He had a pair of multi-hit games. And he had a home run in game two and a home run in that crazy game four. Now, he did score seven runs as well. All right, and the series was only six games, but he he was the um, first player to win the LCS MVP and the World Series MVP since 2014 when Madison Bumgarner did it, and then prior to that was 2011 with David Freeze. So Seager got two MVP awards to go with the World Series ring. The guy earned it. He deserved it. He was all over the field, um, hitting, fielding. Man, he was he was a great player and, um, you know, just really kind of crushed the World Series, took it over. But uh, we'll move over to our segment called Around the Island. Uh, got a lot of quick hit topics. 
to get into from various sports. Uh, and we'll start off um, a real quick hit on something I don't usually talk about, but it's the UFC. Uh, last weekend, there was a big fight between uh, Habib, Nurma- uh, Habib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje. And uh, it was a lightweight title. And Habib ended up winning in the second round by submission to improve his record to 29-0. and Now, the dude is, he is, I don't watch a whole lot of UFC, but I know Habib is, uh, he is outstanding. And he is pound for pound one of the best fighters in the entire world. And immediately after his victory against Justin Gaethje, he announced his retirement from the UFC. Now, his father had just recently passed away, so he kind of kind of had a little Michael Jordan moment after he won. But, um, yeah, so if Nurmagomedov never fights again, 29-0, perfect record uh, in fights, lightweight title. Um, dude's, dude's a maniac, man. But um, we'll move over to the NCAA and college football. Now, the breaking news this past week, came the other day, and that's when Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence tested positive for the coronavirus. Now, Trevor Lawrence, by all accounts, is expected to be the top overall pick in the NFL draft this April. And he's only a junior, uh, and his test results came in on Wednesday, and he had practiced with the team Wednesday, but Clemson coach Dabo Sweeney said that the contact tracing done found out that he had his exposure to the virus was from a family member and not the team. So he's not really worried about it spreading to the team. And Clemson has not announced any new positive tests since Lawrence's. But Trevor Lawrence has to miss today's game against Boston College. And his, uh, you know, the game next week against Notre Dame, biggest game on the schedule for the Clemson Tigers this year. Um, is next weekend, and he's in jeopardy of missing that because he's supposed to quarantine for 10 days, uh, and he's got to produce several negative tests as well. So um, that 10-day range puts him right at uh, right at next Saturday's game. So uh, right now Trevor Lawrence is in danger of missing that Notre Dame game, but we'll have to stay tuned on that because he, if Clemson doesn't have him, you know, they're still – it's next man up with them, and their next – the backup quarterback who's playing today – is a five-star true freshman from uh, California, and it's DJ, I can't even say his last name, Uiagalele, I think it's DJ Uiagalele, is uh, the freshman five-star from St. John Bosco High School in Bellflower, California, and he is, uh, he's 6'5", he's 240, he's basically uh, a linebacker that can throw the football. And uh, he's super athletic. He's played in, I think, five of their games so far just to kind of get in because Clemson's had a few big leads. So um, he's familiar with kind of stepping in there. But um, elsewhere in college football, the Wisconsin Badgers, they had a rash of positive tests, like to the tune of at least a dozen. I think the last number I heard was somewhere between 12 and 14 between coaches and players at Wisconsin football. So they paused their team activities. And the Big Ten just started last week. So this isn't exactly good. Um, Wisconsin has to pause team activities for at least seven days. And they postponed their game against Nebraska, which was scheduled for today. Now, the Big Ten's got some weird rule where they basically, the players that test positive, 
have to like be under monitoring or isolation for like 21 days or something like that. It's, it's outrageous. Uh, it's, you know, I think the consensus is between 10 and 14, you know, um, as far as if you get it, you're clear within 10 to 14 days. But so the big 10 is making them isolate for 21, which means you basically miss two, two to three weeks of the season. So that makes no like sense at all. But so Wisconsin's season could be over as soon as it started, um, I guess is, is what I'm saying. And, you know, that's, that's going to be interesting to, to watch because uh, if they have to cancel two games or postpone two games, you know, I mean, Wisconsin was, they have a legit chance to compete in the Big Ten West, um, you know, and, and, and play Ohio State probably in the, the Big Ten Championship. But now with these, with these tests, who knows? But uh, the other piece of news in college football is the fact that uh, ESPN's College Game Day announced this week that uh, in a couple of weeks, November 14th, they will be airing College Game Day at the site of the Masters in Augusta, Georgia. And I just thought that was interesting because normally they go to uh, various, you know, the, the big games each week. They kind of travel to those campuses and, and, and broadcast from there. But um, there's no football being played in Augusta. But they're they're going to broadcast from the Masters. I think that's uh, that's pretty cool because the Masters is normally in April, so the fact that it's in November this year kind of gives them the ability to do that, and uh, I just think that's cool. Um, you know, the Masters is kind of hollowed ground, so to speak. Um, you know, it's kind of a by invite only, and um, so it, it'll be cool to see kind of you know the golf getting tied into college football that weekend. So I'm excited to see that. But we'll uh, move over to the uh, and, and the NBA and National Basketball Association. Um, not much news coming out this week. Um, over the last few weeks, there's been several coaching hires, uh, some new coaching hires, and uh, it continued again this week. Um, I think I talked about uh, on a previous podcast the New York Knicks. They fired David Fisdale. They hired Tom Thibodeau. Um, the Philadelphia 76ers also found a new coach when they fired Brett Brown. They hired Doc Rivers, who, of course, coached the Clippers for the last several years. Now, the Clippers were in the market for a new coach because they fired Doc Rivers, and they hired Ty Lue, who you know coached the Cleveland Cavaliers when LeBron led them to the title. So that's an interesting hire there. Now, a couple others, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, they fired Alvin Gentry, and they hired Stan Van Gundy. And Van Gundy's been around the league a while, um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what he can do with Zion Williamson there. Uh, and then the Indiana Pacers, they've, they've been a playoff team for the last several years. Uh, got a good young core, um, but they fired Nate McMillan. And they hired Nate Bjorkren. Um, Houston Rockets, another team that got a new coach. They fired Mike D'Antoni. Or he, he opted not to return. Uh, and they just hired the other day Stephen Silas, who is an assistant coach 
for my Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Silas's dad actually coached in the league as well. So, um, but yeah, a lot of movement with NBA coaches. Um, you know, it is technically their off season, so they're uh, you know making all their moves, free agency, all the NFL or NBA draft rather should be happening here in a couple weeks, and uh, free agency as well. So it's going to get pretty crazy here in the next uh, month or so for the NBA. But uh, we'll zip over real quick to uh, Major League Baseball and continuing the theme of uh, new coaches. The Detroit Tigers announced that they have hired A.J. Hinch to be their new manager. Now, A.J. Hinch was the manager of the Houston Astros for the last several seasons. And he got fired before this season as part of the uh, cheating scandal um, hammer that came down from the league. Uh, A.J. Hinch just was a casualty of the scandal, and he got suspended for this whole season. So Hinch served his suspension, agreed to a deal with the Detroit Tigers to be their manager, and he, you know, owned up to his mistakes in the past. I, I saw some of his press conference with the Tigers, and he sounds like he's ready to go. He's put it behind him, the whole incident, and uh, he's ready to move forward with a, with a pretty young team in Detroit. And uh, so now... The uh, AL Central rival, Chicago White Sox, they hired Tony La Russa to be their manager. Now, Tony La Russa is 76 years old. He has not managed a team in the MLB since 2011 when he won the World Series with the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, what's interesting about the White Sox is that they're one of these younger teams that are kind of in win-now mode. Um, You know, they made the expanded playoffs this year. Um, they have some good pitching and a pretty solid lineup. And Tony La Russa actually got his coaching start back in 1976, I think, with the Chicago White Sox. So they're bringing him back to the White Sox organization uh, to help propel them even further into the playoffs. So I think that's an interesting hire. Uh, he hasn't coached in nine years. Um, he's almost 80 years old. Uh, now, he's still a great coach and Probably steps in as one of the better managers in the league, uh, you know, off the street. But, um, yeah, interesting hire for them. Now, we'll uh, move over real quick to the National Football League. And last week, the NFL announced that they had determined the punishment for the Tennessee Titans organization for COVID-19 violations several weeks back when they became the first team to have a COVID-19 outbreak. Now, the NFL fined the Titans organization $350,000. And it basically was the individual players would not were not disciplined and there was no discussion of any forfeiture of draft picks. Uh, the Titans were reported to be fully cooperative and um, basically there were some Titans players that had been working out with other players off-site even though the league said you guys need to be all at home, not doing anything, virtual stuff. And so then they kind of had some more tests after that. And so that's kind of, they, they just violated protocol. But $350,000 fine, um, I guess that's probably better than losing draft picks and uh, whatever else. So 
Now, the other piece of news in the National Football League is deals with the Super Bowl. And this year's Super Bowl is in February, like it normally is. And it's at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay, Florida. Now, the Buccaneers, I talked about last week, when they just signed Antonio Brown, they got a legitimate chance to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. So they they might be the first team to play a home Super Bowl game um, in a while. But, um, yeah, so Raymond James Stadium, the capacity is 65,618. And the NFL said that the attendance for the Super Bowl is currently planned on about 20% seating capacity, which would put it in the ballpark of around 13,000 to 15,000 people for a Super Bowl. Now, the plan is to have the fans sit in pods that are six feet apart. And, of course, everyone will have to wear a, a face mask. Now... If I'm paying that much damn money to watch the Super Bowl, you know, I I don't know that I would want to be wearing a mask and not being able to, you know, eat and drink and really fully enjoy the experience. Um, but that's just kind of the world that we're in right now, unfortunately. And, you know, I'm sure the players all want to have fans there and I'm sure fans want to go to the Super Bowl. But... Yeah, very, very unique uh, situation with, with that. Uh, to see fans sitting in pods, that will be interesting. But, you know, real crowd noise is better than fake crowd noise, and real fans are better than cardboard fans. So um, I think, uh, you know, maybe once we get to February, you know, maybe the capacity will expand a little bit. We can only hope, right? Because Super Bowl is probably the biggest sporting event uh, throughout the year. And, um, you know, the more, the more fans in the stands, the better with that. Now, we'll finish up with uh, some, some hockey news. And it's not the National Hockey League. It's the Ontario Hockey League, which is uh, basically a, ju- a junior-level uh, style hockey. It's for those that aren't familiar. It's, uh, it's based in Ontario. Uh, it's the Ontario Hockey League, the OHL. And um, a lot of kids that are in high school or right out of high school go play. They get drafted into the OHL. They go play, and then you can get drafted into the NHL from the OHL. So it's basically like a stepping stone um, somewhere in between high school and college, basically, is the age of these kids. And um, I used to go to several OHL games back in the day. But uh, the OHL came out, and... They said that for this upcoming season, which begins play on February 4th, so they're only playing like a half a season, uh, the OHL is banning purposeful physical contact to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Basically, the OHL is banning checking and fighting and any purposeful contact. Like, the name of the game in hockey is checking. It's a physical sport, okay, and you get in each other's faces all game long. And this, to me, is just outrageous. Um, you know, all the OHL teams, uh, there's, you know, 
they're going to have to, I don't know how they're going to follow it. You know, like, I don't know how you can prevent somebody from, from checking in hockey or running into somebody or, you know, are you supposed to just let them skate the puck in? You know, as a hockey player myself, I don't understand, you know, how this is the players. That's just not normal for them to do. They've, they've grown up hitting, you know? And so this is really just the pussification of, of, of where we're at today in society. And, with this damn virus and you know if you're that scared about the virus don't play you know and that's really all I can say like to to ban contact in a contact sport is just way over the line and um, out of bounds and so I I don't agree with that at all um that's gonna be that's gonna be outrageous to watch um it's you know you're gonna have scores that are probably pretty high because you're not going to be able to touch anybody and uh, just basically let them walk in and score. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that turns out um, and if there's any hitting or fighting or anything like that that happens, even though the, the OHL put a ban on it. And hopefully that doesn't transfer over to any other sports because, man, could you imagine, you know, sports without any kind of close contact with one another? It's just there's no point in even playing. But that's going to wrap up another version of the Sports Island podcast. This is version 18. And um, if you liked it, please tell your friends about it. And you can always rate, review, and subscribe. Sports Island podcast is available everywhere you get your podcasts on all major platforms. Um, Podcasts can be found on Facebook as well, at Sports Island Podcast. So you can always hit me up on there. And I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, to another version of Sports Island. Hope you all stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you next time on Sports Island.